we're in verse 9 now. So much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. So this counters so much teaching, false teaching of grace and God's love. Again, his wrath is not finished. A person that lives in sin is under the displeasure of God, and he can judge them at various stages in their life, as he does Christians. Says that they don't judge themselves, he'll do it, and he'll do it more stronger and perfectly. But he gives the Christian opportunity to do things right, confess and repent, and if they don't, then he'll take it upon himself to do it. So justice is not nullified because of grace. It fits in God's plan, okay? So we are justified just as if we had not sinned. We are made righteous. We are pardoned from sin by the blood of Christ. And what is the result of that? We, the Christian, will not face the wrath of God at the day of judgment that will come on all sinners, okay? So God has not done away with wrath because of the gospel. Actually, because of the gospel, some people will get more wrath. Jesus preached and healed and teached among the towns and cities of Israel, and he said to them that Sodom and Gomorrah will fare better at the day of judgment, because if I did the things I've done here, they would have repented. So their judgment, God's wrath is going to be a lot greater on them. They were considered the wickedest type of people in the Old Covenant. The Son, not it was only their immorality and impurity. It said they didn't help the weak. They didn't love. It wasn't just the one sin of perversion. That was the culminating what it all was leading to. But he said, even, he said, if I had preached to them what I'm giving you, they would have repented. See, but that kind of grace was not given under that Old Covenant. And so Hebrews says, how much greater punishment do you think they'll receive that trample the blood of Christ? The backslider, the one who comes against, goes away. Peter said it's better that he had never been saved than to fall away. Why? Because the punishment and God's wrath is going to be greater on them. So God keeps records. Every idle word of the wicked person, he'll give an account for. Every righteous deed of goodwill that the Christian does, he will be rewarded for. That is the pure justice of God, okay? And so, at the coming judgment of all sinners, the sinner ultimately, he hates. I hear people say, well, I don't hate God. Well, the scripture says you do because you don't keep his commandments. It says the love of God is to keep his commandments. So when you tell a person you hate God, oh, no, I love him. No, you have an affection like you do for a dog or a cat. That's not the love God's talking about. We can love God emotional with feelings, but it's useless if it's not based on obedience. All forms of love toward God have to be based on following the Lord. He said this is the love of God to keep his commandments. So a person who says they love God and they don't keep his commandments, John tells us, he says they're a liar, and the truth is not in them. God looks at it differently, okay? And so we have to see that they hate God, they hate righteousness. Mankind is selfish and unholy. 
preoccupied with covetousness and finding his own way and pleasures. Well, they're the ones that are going to come ultimately under the wrath of God. So he has not done away with wrath because of the gospel. Actually, he will magnify it in the day of judgment. Okay, He found a way for us, and that was himself, the word of God taking on the human nature, and we can avoid God's wrath by being in Christ Jesus. And so the world eventually will be destroyed by the wrath of the Lamb. When Jesus returns in the second coming, the majority of the world will have taken the mark of the beast and so forth, and God will judge them. He will not come to save them. He will not come to show mercy. Jesus is coming as a king and a judge. He's not coming as a forgiver. He's already done that. He's not coming as an intercessor. He's coming to show forth God's righteous judgment on the wicked. And the Bible says the people will flee to the mountains and beg for the rocks to fall on them, to hide them from the wrath of the Lamb of Christ. See, they'll have the magnification of what Adam and Eve had. We were afraid. Well, they're going to be terrorized, and they were more accountable, and God will judge them. So it's the wrath of the God. He will destroy them and they will be cast into the lake of fire. See, that's Christ doing this. That's the one who died on the cross. That's the one who loved the world and gave himself for it. But there's an end of grace. There's an end of probation. Okay? So he will be the judge, the king, and the holy one. He will represent the whole Godhead when he does this. So we will not see such wrath of God in the human history as hard as we will see when the Lamb judges. So when people think that Jesus is milder and meeker than the Old Testament God, they're mistaken. The Bible says he's called the Almighty God. Who? Jesus. He's the everlasting Father. He's not really separated. He will work in one with everything that God does. They're not separated that way. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. So by enemies, while we were enemies, we were brought to God by Jesus' death and sacrifice. He initiated the plan he sought the sinner out. The sinner basically didn't seek him. Like Adam and Eve, they'd rather get away from God once sin entered the picture. They were afraid of him. And so he instituted this relationship once they were cut off. He still gave it to them to a degree, but they were forbidden the Garden of Eden. They couldn't eat of the tree of life. He said, lest they live forever. He didn't want them living because the penalty of sin brings death. And they eventually died in their human nature. And that was the consequence of this sin. But he did not make a final end of them. He immediately began the plan and extended grace. And he covered them with the fur of innocent animals that God himself killed. He shed blood. So he's giving them the symbol of what he's going to eventually do. 
He did it in degrees by revelation. And so, how much more now that we are his friends and family, we shall be saved by his life. Uh, So, that life, eternal life, is himself. See, over and over again, we have to emphasize it's not a gift to keep you out of hell. It's not a gift that you can go live your own life, but I have the gift of salvation. That's a lie. The gift is him. And if he does not indwell you, you don't have eternal life. If you continue with the Lord, you have eternal life in the present. John said we've overcome. He's talking about the ones that are living in Christ. The false shepherds say he means a past, present, future. No, it doesn't. Because Revelations, when he speaks to the seven churches, he tells each one, he that overcomes will inherit these things. They hadn't overcome in the future. They had to be maintaining their continuance walk with the Lord. So we're saved from our past sins, and we're saved and have eternal life as we walk with Christ. And if we finish and endure to the end, we have eternal life with him forever. All other teachings on this are demonic and they're false, and it's a false form of Christianity, and the teachers will go to a greater judgment for lying and misleading and telling people things that are not true, because they're under the power of the devil. Verse 11, and not only this, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So we have joy in God by the Lord Jesus Christ. We have now received peace and life with God. We have eternal life. We have Christ. He has made to us redemption and sanctification. As we're yoked to him, we have what he has. Stay yoked. As we are a branch and stay in the vine, we have the life of the vine. If the branch does not bear fruit and follow the Lord and respond, the Father cuts him off and he doesn't have eternal life anymore. But the wrath of God will eventually come on him. So we're seeing this. We have been saved, past sins. We are being saved, present, by our walking in Christ and him and us. And we have eternal life forever if we abide with him. So those are the conditions. We cannot get saved and live our own life. He said we're either, when we were slaves of sin, now we're slaves of righteousness. It doesn't say we're independent. If God redeemed us, he redeemed us for himself. He didn't redeem us to find our own life and pleasures. He redeemed us from the selfish life. So there is no vacuum spiritual vacuum. You're either serving the Lord or you're serving the devil. It doesn't matter which degrees, but you're in one or the other. So we see this, that we hope. Our salvation in Romans, he'll tell us, is the hope for salvation. Hope is always future. We call it final salvation. Well, the eternal security, once saved people say, well, we don't have that. We already have it. No, we don't. See, they're lying to you. You only have it as you abide with Christ. If you don't stay with him, you don't have it anymore. You'll be cut off. So they'll say we're saved past, present, future. No, God's plan of salvation 
is past, present, future. He's taking care of it all. But then the person has to fall in line to confess and repent and to continue with the Lord. As Paul, he will tell us later, these are the sons of God, those who are led of the Spirit. doesn't say those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. See, that's a false teaching. They take one or two scriptures, just believe. Well, that's only part of it. He said you have to be led. Led is continuation. Led is being following a master. So you can claim all the Christianity you want, like the masses will, say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, I never knew you. But they believed he was their Lord. Well, they believed wrong. They were misled. They were deceived. And their sin deceived them further. Okay? So for final salvation, we have to endure with Christ. We have to run to the end of the race. We have to warfare, a good warfare, like Paul said, a fight of faith. We have to be a continual pilgrimage. Pilgrim, we have to stay with the Lord. We have to live spiritually in a wicked world. That's part of all. And all of this is a probation. You prove your character by persevering. And if you don't persevere, you don't have Christ's character because he obeyed the Father always. So he's telling us we have to obey the Father. We have to be led of the Spirit. We're given mercy and grace. And the Christian, if he fails, we have a high priest. And if we confess and repent, and then sometimes he judges, he punishes, but he does not give us the full measure. He has a right to chasten the disobedient. And he does. And Hebrews says he chastens all of his children. And that proves that they're not bastards. He corrects them. If they don't correct themselves, if they don't deal with certain things, then he'll take it upon himself. And then if they persist in the rebellion, then the psalm comes into play, says, he that is often reproved will be cut off, and that without remedy. So if a person does not submit to God's judgment as a Christian, as his punishment. And that's why Hebrew says, don't despise. Don't despise the chase of the Lord. See, some people, when they're dealt with, they get bitter, they're resentful, and they fall away because they don't like that. And the Bible says it's grievous, it's painful, and it's meant to be. And God says it's to produce holiness. When God judges some people so severely, they're not interested in sinning. It catches their attention. They're not capable of doing, and then once he lifts it, he sees whether they want to continue in it or not. And that person is often reproved. And as you keep resisting the Spirit, your conscience becomes hardened to the place that God says, that's enough. He says, you will be cut off, and that without remedy. There will be no remedy. But see, we see the process of God. He deals. He tells us to judge ourselves. And if we don't do it properly, he takes it in his hand, and he'll do it properly. But some people resist it, despise it, and they don't like it. Well, if he loves me, why does he beat me? Well, he's telling you why. He wants you to produce holiness, for without holiness, you'll never see God. See, he will not tolerate the Christian who practices sinning. 
That's why Paul three times says, those who live this way, and he names all these sins and the such like, he said, they will not enter the kingdom of God. They will not have the, why? Because they're not Christians anymore. If they practice evil, they've ceased practicing righteousness because they're not walking with Christ anymore. They're not being led by the Spirit. Okay, now we get down to 12. We're in 12 now. I'm going to read two scriptures together, 12 and 13. Therefore, again, for this reason, just as through one man sin entered into the world, notice it says one man, it doesn't say one woman, Adam was held more accountable. He sinned knowing what he was doing. Eve was tricked. She was guilty, but Adam was more guilty. He understood things, and he chose to stay with Eve. He chose, by knowledge, to eat this piece of fruit that Eve gave him. So he's held accountable as the authority, as the head. The woman was made for the man. It'd be a helpmate, okay? And so it entered. And when sin entered through Adam, death came to all men because all sinned. So we see now he's going to talk about original sin, that it's transferred through the nature of Adam's fall. We inherit many things from them, and they were in a fallen state, and they produced what they were to a great degree. Now, 13 says, for until the law, he's talking about the law of Moses mainly, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. So until Moses came, the law was not magnified against them. It was kept at a minimum. But they died because of Adam's sin. They basically died not because of their willful sin, though that came later, but Job, the most righteous man who was alive, he was righteous, yet he died, see, because the sin nature was still in him. And it hadn't been atoned for yet. So what was he saying here? Okay. One man, sin entered the world. And again, it does not say one woman. For the man, Adam, was held more accountable. Jesus is called the second Adam. He's not called the second Eve. Isn't that interesting? Okay. So uh, he ate, choosing to stay with Eve or to side with her for whatever reason, or to be misled by her, but he chose. Eve was tricked. Adam knew what he did. Eve was deceived. That's why the Apostle Paul, even though it's contrary to most women and so-called Christian women teachers, he does not allow uh, women to teach publicly because he said it was the woman that was deceived, not the man. That's part of the consequences of the curse, the same as a woman going through much pain while having babies. That's part of that curse that follows to mankind, not individual willful sin, but the sin of the nature that has been given to them. So before the law, it was not imputed. The law was not magnified against them. This scripture also, if you understand its context, this is why even People born into sin, babies that die, retarded people, they are not brought into a conscious judgment. But still, because they are human beings, Christ has to make provision, and that's what he did. 
So they cannot be judged if they don't know the law. If they're not accountable and can't understand it, there's no justice in God judging them for their actions. Well, they have no actions. So therefore, babies and retarded people and so forth, they will be judged at a different system. And Christ's blood will cover them also. It's not for those who just hear the gospel. That would be unfair of God. Multitudes have not heard the gospel and have died. Billions have died never hearing the gospel. God will judge them according to conscience, the inner law. And if they're saved, it will still be because of the blood of Christ. He covers all manner. And he's going to show us that he covered original sin and he covers willful sin. That was the point that Paul is talking about here. Okay, so as sin entered, it spread, and death came to all to prove they were born into sin. It's the consequences of sin, illness and sickness and all of those things. 13, for until the law, sin was in the world, but like he says, it was not counted to them because they didn't have the knowledge of it, the full knowledge. And so God winked at their wickedness. He covered their conscience to a degree. But then when the law came, it magnified sin. It exposed it more. It held them more accountable because they were given more light and truth. That's God's justice. So those who've been given the gospel and reject it will go to a far greater hell than those who are wicked and didn't hear the gospel and disobeyed their conscience. The backslider will go to a greater hell than a person that's never been saved, basically, as a whole, in general. That's what he's telling us, okay? So one man sinned, and it entered the world, and like we say, and before the law, sin was not counted to, was not attached to them. It doesn't mean there was no sin. It means it wasn't revealed clearly. So he judged them according to their conscience and not according to the law of Moses. So the annual blood covered sin, and Christ removed it later. So before the law, God dealt with man's inner law, the conscience, which he's put in man as the inner law. And he gives space within that to accept all, even all have been born into sin and have the sinful nature. But if they work a certain amount of righteousness, obey their conscience, he has leadway. He can be gracious under every covenant. The scripture says he winked at their ignorance. But once you hear the gospel, he's not winking anymore. Of course, most of the gospel that's preached is false. But if a person hears the true gospel under conviction, God's not winking anymore. Cornelius was a righteous Gentile, and the angel confirmed that. And then Peter gave him the true gospel. And if he did not believe it, he would not be a righteous Gentile anymore it's because he was given more light and he refused it. And that's what happened to many of the Jewish synagogues that Paul would go to. He would give them opportunity. And when they rejected the gospel on one or two occasions, he said he shook the dust off his feet and said, you are unworthy of the kingdom of God. Now I'll go to the Gentile. He gave them opportunity. They refused it. And because he gave them the truth, they could not live according to the law and the sacrifices would not work. 
See, because they've been given the greater light at that time. Okay. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses. So the consequences of original sin and the sin nature being transferred, the consequences was death, sickness and stuff, and it kept going on. Everybody died except for Enoch and Elijah, and they were made examples of the similar to the resurrection, but generally man died. It was the consequence he didn't live forever anymore, okay, because he didn't have the tree of life to eat of, which is one of the promises to the churches in Revelation. He'll give us to eat of the tree of life. It means we will be maintained. Whether it's literal or spiritual, it means we will have Christ, eternal life forever. We will not decay. We will not corrupt. We will not age. Whatever our resurrected body and spirit is, it's permanent. It will not be altered. Sin and decay and death are all because of the sin of mankind. The original sin and willful sin, okay? even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of Adam. So he's saying, we inherited this. We didn't actually do the sin, but the consequences passed to us, and therefore the judgments and so forth. But we did not do that as Adam did. We are in original sin because we're descendants of him. We inherit it the human nature, and everything good and bad through Adam and Eve. So he's making a distinction here. Death rules from Adam to Moses before the law was given. So all sinned by original sin, hereditary. Their nature is drawn to be independent from God, and it's tempted to self-seeking. Yet he The man will manifest sin willfully later. This is what Cain did. See, he had the nature to be jealous and to be evil, and he had to resist it. God said he could. Told him it's like a crouching animal waiting for you. It was a demon of murder. It was Satan. And he didn't take God's advice, so he carried through with the willful murder. The devil inspired him, and he yielded. That's why Jesus said Satan was a murderer from the beginning, the beginning of mankind. He instigated Cain to murder his brother. Well, Cain had the temptation because he had a fallen nature, but he did not have to obey it. God said for certain sins, willful sins are done with the will. They're not forced upon a person. And so that's how the two unite themselves And so even the most righteous people like Job and Melchizedek and Abel and others, they still had original sin, but they obeyed God as far as living it out. They didn't willfully. And if they did, they provided sacrifice. They had to repent, and they understood the sacrifice was leading to a future forgiveness. Something had to take care of it. And so this is what God wanted to explain to mankind. So we see that the most righteous man on earth died because of Adam's sin. And who was that? At the time, it was Job. There may have been others later, but at that time, God looked throughout the world. It's believed Joseph and Jacob were living then. 
He was in possibly Saudi Arabia, and God told the devil, he said, have you considered my servant? There is none like him in all the earth who works righteousness and hates the sin. So God validated there was none like him. As we say, Josiah, one of the kings of Israel, when the book was written, uh, said there was none as righteous as him before or after. That includes David and Solomon and other righteous kings. But it said, Josiah, there was none like him before or after until Christ came. So he outwardly lived according to the truth and light he had. He lived a very righteous life, and God admired that and appreciated that. Okay, verse 15, but the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of one, many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man abound to many. So we just stated what he's doing here. The transgression of Adam brought the nature of sin on man. But Christ's gift of grace offered to all mankind, but only for those who believe. The grace is the gift of the second Adam. So there's a distinction here. They have to receive and believe this. And like we say, when man was under conscience and under law, all of that will be covered through the blood of Christ for those who are righteous under those laws, under those limitations. So when Jesus descended into the grave after he was crucified, he went into paradise, the abode of the righteous Jew. And he led them captive into heaven itself. See, because he had to legally take care of their sins and the blood offerings and the sacrifice would have been useless if Christ had not covered it. So that's what he's doing. Everyone that's saved and makes it to heaven ultimately is saved through Jesus Christ. He paid the penalty for all of mankind. Okay, so we see in verse 16, the gift is not like that which came to the one who sinned or Adam, for the one had the judgment arose from transgression, resulting in condemnation. So that's what happened to Adam. When he sinned, the death penalty was prescribed to him. He was unholy. He was wicked. God had to punish him and had to withdraw. He was not allowed to stay in the garden. Even though God was redeeming him and worked with him, he was dealt with in a lesser label. The Jew under the law could not enter the sanctuary or the Holy of Holies. The way was not made plain for him. So he was given a limited access to God, and it was still sin and the sinful nature that was blocking this full manifestation. So that's what he's explaining to us. But on the other hand, the free gift called the grace of God, the favor of God, arose for many in transgressions, but it resulted in justification. So if the sinner under transgressions believes the Lord and believes in the sacrifice of Christ, being righteousness accounted to him, then he will be justified. He will be made righteous. He will be pardoned. 
is what he's talking about. So it's a repeating of the previous verse that acts of Adam made all sinners by nature. The act of Christ gave justification to all who would believe. 17. For by the transgression of one, death reigned through the one. So all mankind uh, will die, will get sick and die, or eventually will die because of the sin of Adam. It's hereditary. It's transferred to the human race. Okay. Much more then, those who receive this grace, this gift of righteousness, will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. This is where the heretic has a problem. They think we're saved from our sins and we're covered from practicing sin. It's not true. The person is in Christ. He said, as you've been slaves of sin, now you are to be slaves of righteousness. What does this mean? You transfer your obedience and loyalty to Christ. You're under the law of Christ. And because he dwells in you, you're capable of not sinning against God willfully. You're capable of overcoming sin. And this is what Paul meant later when we get into it. Sin shall not have dominion over you. So when a person claims to be Christian and they're living in gross sin, they're a false Christian. They're a backslider if they were a Christian because it's not working. Why is Christ not ruling in them? Because they're not submitting to him. So he saves us to give us the power over sin. And we do not have to, as the heretic says, we have to sin every day in word, thought, and deed. Scripture does not teach that. Scripture says he makes provision and we have a high priest. But never once in the scripture, it says, if you sin, it does not say when you sin. You find no validation or excuse for a practicing sinner that claims to be a Christian. Jesus himself, Paul, they both said, go and sin no more. They wouldn't have said that if they believed you had to sin every moment of the day. That's false teaching. Now, we're being sanctified. We don't walk in perfection. But certain things God does not hold against us as we walk in the Spirit. He doesn't deal with certain things. But he's listed all the gross sins. Everybody knows what they are. He's not talking about flaws and imperfections and weaknesses. He's talking about deliberate, willful sinning. And Paul names at least 22 sins. And in case you miss any of them or any others, he says, and the such like. Man's nature with his conscience, he knows what is sin. He knows gross sin. He knows lying and stealing and adultery and murder. He knows they're wrong. He didn't have to have the law of Moses to know that. His conscience told him this. So if a person lives in these gross sins, then that's why Paul said, and he said, don't let no one lie to you. Like the once saved, always saved people do. Don't let one deceive you. Don't let them trick you with a lie. For those who practice such things shall not enter the kingdom of God. They shall not see the kingdom of God. You know how they pervert that scripture? Shows you how demonic they are. When I've explained that to them, oh, they say, well, they don't mean heaven. It means they won't enter their spiritual privileges. That's a really distorting of the word. Every other time in scripture, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of Christ means heaven. So a heretic has to twist the truth or his conscience could not live with it. 
And so that's what the false teacher does. That's what the person does before God if he doesn't follow the truth. Okay, let's end at verse 517. Lord, give us wisdom, give us practical application, help us in the dark times not to be deceived by false shepherds and false teachings, for it's a dark time as the days of Noah and Lot, and you warned us in the church of Philadelphia, let no one take our crown. Don't matter what the masses say is Christianity, it's what your word says. In Jesus' name, amen.